0: This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is September 16th, 2021. Today we begin our journey down the road to the upcoming Climate Conference COP26 by looking at how climate considerations are affecting private assets. before anyone starts thinking this is going to be yet another discussion about the lack of transparency in private assets, let's dive headfirst into that issue with a question I asked of both our guests today. That is, when it comes to climate data, how different really are private and public investments? We start with the answer from our first guest.
1: Hi, I'm Brian Schmidt. I'm responsible for product management and applied research at Burgess. If you asked me that question six to six months to a year ago, before I started working closely with with MSCI on climate, I would have told you that it, it's a you know night and day in terms of the data availability within the privates. But the more I've learned, I've learned that there's a significant amount of estimation happening on the public asset side. And listen, there will be you know in terms of the initial rollouts of of the private assets, there will be a good amount of of, of estimation. Happening. I do expect that the kind of private assets will continue to lag the public assets. Um, But listen, at the end of the day, these estimates are being used for real purposes and being used effectively in the public markets today to give clients a view into their portfolio and to give clients a path to improvements and paths to net zero. We would expect the same to be happening in the private assets. You know, potentially a little bit of a lag, but listen, it's it's uh, it's certainly not night and day
2: for our ACQUI-IMI. And that would be? So my name is Larry Lawrence. I sit within the uh, ESG product team at MSCI for our um, ACQUI-IMI, All Country World Index Universe, which has, you know, over 9,000 of the large, small, medium, emerging market, small cap companies out there. Only about 30 to, uh, uh, you know, 40% of the companies in that index, um, and these are public companies, report on their sort of scope one and scope two emissions since 2014, 2013, we've had to adopt and implement an estimation model to cover a large portion of even the public universe and the fixed income universe because, you know, not a lot of companies have been reporting. You know, obviously those the number is increasing, but still our, our estimation models have been in place and are still huge for a large part of that coverage universe to provide. Um, that transparency and, and, and cover those gaps. So there's still a lot of work to do, but, but we've had to adopt estimation models to fill the gaps. And I think for private companies and private equity, um, you know, while, while they're just getting started, I, I, I still think there's a lot of work to do on both sides.
0: Now that we've hopefully ushered that elephant out of the room, let's zero in on private asset investors. Now, we've spoken before with Brian when he first appeared on the program, as well as with MSCI's President and Chief Operating Officer, Bear Pettit, about the importance of all investors, including those in privates, to consider climate. But are they doing so? Or rather, are more of them focused in this direction than in the past? The answer seems to be a resounding yes. And that goes for investors in Europe, as you might expect, but also in the Americas.
2: We've talked to, I would say, most of the largest not only asset owners investors but but asset managers and in, in private equity shops and some of them are at different stages um but but you know but i think this is top of mind for everyone i think and i think this is this is a trend across the board more and more they're allocating their their portfolios to to private assets you you will see um you know sustainability and climate be a big part of that um but i, I I wouldn't be surprised, you know, because based on the discussions we've had, uh, many of the firms in the Americas, for example, um the U.S. and Canada, by the way, uh, are, are are certainly leading the charge. And this is top of mind. And, and I think there will certainly not be followers for long.
0: But why? What's driving this focus?
2: What we're seeing in, you know, with private asset investors are pretty similar With the trends we've seen in our public universe, uh, to be honest with you, we've seen a tremendous momentum in in awareness of climate and ESG issues um, within the public universe. Uh, For example, you know, year over year, more and more companies, um, corporates. Uh, within the equity universe are, are becoming more and more aware of these ESG issues. We're, we're hearing from them more. Um, they're being engaged by their investors and different stakeholders in the subject. And it's very similar to what we're seeing in, in private assets. Um, you know, as an example, we've seen significant increase in regulations targeting corporates. If you were to compare 2018 to 2019 as an example, there was a uh, 136% rise in the number of regulations related to uh, uh, ESG and climate targeting companies, corporates. The the other things are, you know, climate risks are influencing market dynamics. Um, you know, climate is and will continue to influence valuations, you know, rates, liquidity, access to capital. It's, it's a, basically, it's something that can no longer be ignored. If you are a participant in the capital markets and need to grow, borrow money, issued that and equity, you need to be aware of climate considerations because they're playing a big role into how companies are valued, their ability to borrow money, um, and, and everything else around that.
1: One of the forces is pretty straightforward, right? It's it's the, the goal of maximizing risk-adjusted long-term returns, just considering one additional factor and, and that's climate. So, so the idea is just maximizing upside return and minimizing and mitigating downside risk over this long-term. So. The second factor, or the second force here is really doing their part, right? So at the end of the day, our clients, the sovereign wealth funds, the endowments foundations, uh, family offices, they have constituents, right? And they answer to those constituents. And those constituents want them to do their part to encourage a sustainable future. So the third force is is regulation, right? Regulation and, re- and or reporting recommendations. So acronyms such as TCFD, SFDR, SDG, are all part of kind of the everyday discussions with our clients, including the fund of funds and the GPs themselves.
0: TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, and SFDR, the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, these are ESG and climate reporting regulations in Europe. SDGs, those are the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. I asked Larry to elaborate on this point. And are those regulations that you mentioned, the, what was it, 136% rise, incredible, in regulations, do you see those helping? Are they trying to make this more systematic, more uh, consistent across companies and, and what they report?
2: Yeah, certainly. Some some are. Um, some some are just, um, some want to just ensure that companies are paying attention to these real risks, these these climate risks, are ensuring that. They, you know, they they look at some type of scenario analysis, you know, looking forward, and 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 they are at least aware of how their firm could be impacted under multiple scenarios. Um, some are just asking for basic reporting. Just make your investors and, and your stakeholders aware of 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 your profile as a, as a firm. So I certainly think there it's helping. Um, I think it will encourage a lot of people and participants in the market to, you know, to begin to pay attention to this. You know, if you look at some of the things happening with the EU, um, with, with the, a number of the, the regulatory requirements, especially with TCFD, I mean, a big part of that is climate. And, you know, I, I don't think, as I mentioned earlier, you, it's just something you can't escape at, at this point.
1: Listen, regulation certainly is, is helping, but, you know, I think it's the, the drive of the asset owners, the asset owners we serve, and frankly, them serving their constituents, which is the the, the largest driver in the industry.
0: These asset owners and asset managers, the limited and general partners, LPs and GPs, respectively, when you're talking about private assets, these are MSEI and Burgess's clients. So what are they looking for? What kinds of
1: questions are they asking? Burgess focuses on data and analytics solutions for private assets. Our clients include institutional investors, or LPs, fund of funds and the general partners themselves. Now, general partners are looking through the lens of climate by selecting the portfolio companies and monitoring the progress of the portfolio companies as it relates to to climate. Now, fund of funds, they're selecting managers and creating portfolios on behalf of their investors. And finally, institutional investors, they're constructing portfolios based on the liabilities, goals, and preferences of their constituents. Our institutional investor clients include sovereign wealth funds public and private pensions, family offices, and endowments and foundations.
2: Recently, we held a consultation with about 25 of our clients around the world, just hoping to, um, or aiming to understand, you know, what are the key questions they're trying to answer? Um, what, what what are some of their concerns? And, and essentially, what are they trying to solve for? And I think it, it boiled down to, to a few things. The first is, with the focus on climate, and, and net zero, and not only communicating how you can how you're contributing to the solution, but also making sure you make your stakeholders aware and comfortable with the fact that you are aware of some of these risks. You know, from making sure you know climate risk management is embedded in your processes, making sure that you report to your stakeholders around your climate risks and different things that you're doing, and, and your sort of your carbon footprint, as an example. Um, so, so we we're we're getting questions from 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 them across the board, and and. Two things stand out. The first is from these investors, they want a consistent view of how to measure their total portfolio across all of these different asset classes that I just mentioned, equity, fixed income, and and now sort of private asset, you know, private equity and debt funds. The other thing is reporting, how do we then convey to stakeholders, investors, owners, and the like that we're either not carbon intensive or we're taking the right steps to help contribute to the solution?
0: So despite our best efforts, here we are talking about reporting and data. So before we commit to going down that path completely, I do want to stick with this idea of the private asset investor and what they're after in terms of climate, what what sets them apart. One key factor is time horizons, which tend to be longer on the private side of the ledger, and this is a very important feature, particularly when we're talking about climate.
1: Yeah, so so private asset investors, you know, they're investing in buyout funds or investing in venture capital funds. They're investing in private debt funds or private real asset funds, including real estate. Um, depending on the asset class, those uh, the life of those funds could be anywhere from let's say seven to fifteen years. So almost by definition, private asset investors are are committed for the long term. Um, and listen, the investment horizons of those clients that we have, those sovereign wealth funds. Pensions, endowments, foundations, family offices, they are long-term investors, right? They're willing to accept the illiquidity of private assets for the illiquidity premium that they that they receive by investing in those private assets. So these institutions that I, that I mentioned earlier, they have to have these long horizons, often multi-generational horizons, investment horizons. So when they're making investment decisions, they're deciding in context of 10, 20, and sometimes 50 plus year investment horizons. And so over these long-term horizons, risk and opportunities such as climate pretty much can't be ignored. And when you look at longer horizons, 10, 25 years, 50 years, issues such as climates are big factors over the 50-year horizon, right? So I, I, I think the the answer here is that the, the benefits of focusing on climate for these institutional investors and private assets are that the risks are real, right? The, the risks are real in terms of climate changes over those time periods. And, and these are the time periods they're thinking of when they're making investment decision decisions. And frankly, ultimately, you know, satisfying their constituents in terms of the return profile, in terms of risk management over those horizons.
2: In some of the discussions we've had, one of the interesting dynamics and, and many of our clients have told this to us, you know, there's there's a ton of value and opportunity here, both in the pre-investment Stage when you when you do due diligence to evaluate um, targets, um, you know climate is playing a role in helping you assess those potential targets for acquisition, you know, and then post investment where where you can as a as a as, a, as an asset manager or a general partner work with your portfolio companies to close the gaps where they exist in in terms of their uh, climate. Profile their 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 risk management, and also the on the opportunities that 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 exist there as well. You know, in, in Europe, there are a number of examples where we have a number of private equity shops who go in um, um, with the methodology to help create value in, in 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 companies they acquire. And you know, sustainability and climate is leading that charge. Consumers want to purchase and work with companies who um, you know who have a great profile when it comes to the environment and. and when it comes to climate change um, so there's a ton of opportunity there in and of itself to 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 you know reposition a company um to, to make them look, you know, from an environmental perspective, as as a, a contributor and a you know as a solution provider versus as uh, someone who is either dismissing this issue and 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 not adding value from from that perspective. So there's there's a ton of opportunity there. And and think of it as you know think of the cost savings itself, and you think about sustainability and and making operations more efficient, less less intensive from a from a carbon or, or a climate uh uh perspective. I think there's a ton of opportunity there as well
0: whether it's accounting for risk, looking for potential opportunity, or trying to get your own portfolio to net zero, it does come down to data. And honestly, I'm not sure why I thought we could avoid that discussion. As we heard earlier, private and public investors, they're not terribly far apart when it comes to availability of data. And while neither have come terribly far either, the news is better than you might imagine in terms of what's available and how investors can put it to use.
1: So I guess first I just, I want to kind of uh, remind folks or or just continue to make the point that there's a lot available today. I would just start with recommending to asset owners to know what they own today. And you know, Burgess isn't alone, but Burgess is a provider of a solution to provide look through to the underlying portfolio and companies and properties within your fund investments. So based on the industry, geography, and, and the client's ownership in each portfolio company, that asset owner can get a bottoms-up view of their private asset portfolios, industry, and geography exposure. That by itself tells an asset owner a lot about the climate their climate risk exposure. But second, listen, a few more details of each of those underlying portfolio companies, you know, data points such as revenue, total enterprise value of these underlying portfolio companies, allows companies like MSCI to estimate the carbon footprint of each of these underlying portfolio companies. I guess is the, the way I would maybe start is is first just, you know, creating a strategy and, and creating creating the goal and, and stating that is certainly a starting place. Um, today they can they can start to measure and take a baseline, kind of however low fidelity that, that baseline might be, they can take a baseline based on the information that's available to them today and remeasure periodically on that progress relative to that, to that baseline. They s- certainly document the assumptions that they make and revisit those and, and re- kind of recalculate over time. Again, to the extent it's very low fidelity, it might be just an industry and geography breakdown of, of their allocations, but there's a lot that can be said with, with that. So if you're an asset owner, um, you know, create the strategy, but at the end of the day, your job is to kind of allocate your capital and select your managers and funds according to that strategy. And so you should be having those discussions with, with those managers that you're allocating to and what your expectations are of those managers. Um, so so let your your allocation speak, if you will. Um, if you're a general partner, if, if you're the, the, the asset manager yourself or, or the general partner, you have a similar job, right? So you select the portfolio companies that you want to have in your in your portfolio and you kind of manage and operate those portfolio companies um you should be doing so in a way that achieves the strategies that that you've set forward that you've set forward for you know your firm or you've set forward for your LPs in, in those funds.
2: So one of the things we've observed in in speaking to um not only the 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 investors but also the asset managers the general partners is that Many times these asset owners and investors come to them, asking them of varying degrees of, of, you know, different pieces of information. So it's quite fragmented. You may have one investor asking you, you know, for questions one to five and another investor is asking you a completely different set of questions. So a lot of times what they're looking to us for is, is there a framework or a consistent set of metrics that we can begin to ask or even begin to provide investors with that would help solve for that to to sort of address some of the fragmentation issues that we're seeing because it is very difficult to manage when you have you know if you've got let's just say as an example 100 investors across all of your different portfolios and they are each asking a different set of questions that just makes it very difficult
1: the role that burgess plays in the process is to facilitate that that data collection from the underlying gps to make it easier for those gps to report that information to allow their, their LPs to get this, this carbon footprint estimation of, of their portfolio. And certainly the role that MSCI plays in this, in this is to, to make the best possible estimate available based on the, the, the best data available. And so with that combination, um, in the very near future, clients will be able to see a carbon footprint of their private capital portfolio or a large percentage of their private capital portfolio.
0: When we're talking about getting getting those baseline measurements improving transparency consistency where do we go from here how do we move away from estimates whether it's on private or the public side how how are we going to get there as a let's say an investment ecosystem
2: i think just the awareness um of participants in the in the ecosystem and um the, the fact that they recognize that you know it, the climate is playing a much bigger role um, An influence in every aspect um, of capital markets and the ecosystem in general. Um, that that I think this will just become naturally and organically. You will just see more and more information being asked for and more and more information being reported. Regulation will certainly drive a lot of that. You know, st- interest from stakeholders and investors will drive a lot of that beyond regulation. Um, you know, in one in one example. Uh, I've seen, um, and I, I believe this was in Australia, we had a large provider of capital, an asset owner, who committing to strip capital from companies failing to act on climate change risks, for example. So, you know, that in and of itself, I think will encourage more um, reporting and more disclosure. Um, and then we have a role to play as a service provider and, and and a solution provider where we can make it a lot more easy for not only public but private companies um, and I think that's key make it very easy for private companies to you know have a s- sort of framework for reporting and disclosing this information but then give them a platform where they can do this much more easily but and even beyond that give them a place where they could benchmark how they're doing relative to their peers as well
0: that's all for this week our thanks to Larry and Brian and to all of you for listening next up on Perspectives Believe it or not, we are nearing the end of the third quarter of 2021, and that means it's time for friend of the pod, Hitendra Varsani, to join us for a look at the markets, along with some special guests to help us get the complete picture. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.